0: morning church great to see you this morning as you're turning in your bibles to uh, acts chapter 4 i have a question for you how many of you would say that you like to experience something rather than own something new you'd rather you know go and experience something cool than own a new shirt how many of you would say that okay pretty good mix pretty good mix that's what i expected apparently it actually differs depending on which generation you're a part of believe it or not. Uh, an article caught my eye this week in Forbes magazine, and the headline said this, no ownership, no problem. Why millennials value experiences over owning things. You see, the premise was that millennials, different from the generation that came before them or the emerging generation coming after them, value experience. They would rather like, travel the world than they would ho- you know, own a home, for example. And whether you think that's completely ridiculous or you'd say, hell yeah, that's kind of me. It got me thinking that we all value experiences, don't we? We all value experiencing something. We love the super cool concert or, you know, being at the stadium with our fans cheering on our favorite sports team, right? We love that. We love to be able to do something significant with the people we love, don't we? And we love valuing things, and even as we love, ex- we love ex- experiencing things, and even as we value experiencing things in the moment, we like telling people about it just as much, don't we? Or actually, it's more like we love uh, posting about it on social media, right? We love experiencing things, and we put a value on it. Well, the apostles Peter and John had experienced something incredible. They had seen the gospel play out right in front of their eyes. And the experience that they had with Jesus was so life-changing that it resulted in Peter uttering the phrase that is the title for our message this morning. In verse 20 of chapter 4, where we're going to be today, Peter says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. A follower of Christ, you too have had an experience with Jesus. To claim faith in Jesus Christ is to come face to face with who he is and what he did for us. And those of us who have responded to that in faith and have had our lives changed by it need to have the response that we tell other people about what we've seen Jesus do in our lives and have heard him say. In fact, we need to boldly proclaim The gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll see from our time in God's Word this morning. So why don't we dive into it together? Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'll read it, and then I'll pray, and we'll get after it. Sound good? You with me? All right, follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were a part of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people for all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And uh, almighty God, as we open up your word together this morning, as we crack the book and see your face, I pray father that you would reveal to us what it is that you would have for us to know, to see, and then to believe and follow here this morning. I pray, Father, that as we consider this idea that you have called us through your son, Jesus Christ, to boldly proclaim the good news of who he was and what he did while he was here on this earth, I pray that that would be a burning desire in each of us starting here today. I pray, Father, that as we seek to understand more of who you are and more of who we are through you, that you would reveal to us the areas of our lives that we need to be aligned with you, the areas of our lives where we may have blind spots, the things that we may have slipped. Father, I pray that you would encourage us by your word to continue to do the things that you have called for us to do. I pray, Father, if there's any here who aren't living according to your word, that this would be the day that they see who you are and what you have done for us, and they respond to it in faith. God, above all else, I pray that you do what you see fit to do through your word this morning. Be glorified in this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, looking at this idea of boldly proclaiming the gospel, that means a couple things for us. And the first thing it means is that I challenge the status quo in people's lives. I challenge the status quo in people's lives. Now, Peter and John. Under the call of the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, which was given to them by Jesus himself, they find themselves in Jerusalem where, and you can read in chapter 3, they heal a man who had been lame since birth. And in that healing, Peter gets an incredible opportunity to be able to preach the gospel to the people who were near him. But then as we get into chapter four and we see in verse one that there's some people who weren't super stoked about how this whole thing was going down. We're introduced to the priests, first of all, and then the captain of the temple, who was just essentially the captain of the temple police department. And then we read the Sadducees. Now, who are the Sadducees? Well, they were one of the three main uh, political parties of the time. They were a wealthy, well-educated group, very influential in the political and religious scene in Israel at this time. And they had control over the high priests and the captain of the guard and actually held majority seats in the Jewish council, which is also called the Sanhedrin, a group that we'll learn a little bit more about as we, as we go along here in God's word. But these three groups were, verse 12, greatly annoyed because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, the reason they were upset that this was going on is because what Peter and John were proclaiming was completely contrary to their belief system. You see, the Sadducees took a hardline stance on ancient orthodoxy. They were completely uninterested in new thought or new religious ideas. They were focused on this world and maintaining the status quo here, so much so that they denied the existence of a world to come. They felt like the here and now was the only thing to live for. They also completely denied the doctrine of a a resurrection from the dead, both physically and spiritually, and completely ignored the existence of a spiritual realm. One of the few places in scripture that we hear more about who the Sadducees were is uh, later on in the book of Acts in chapter 23, when uh, we hear for the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit. And finally, as wealthy aristocrats, they had closely tied themselves with Rome, who were the ruling powers of the day, and affiliated themselves more with them than they did their own people, which, as you can imagine, made them very popular amongst their own people. People didn't really like these guys. And so for them to all of a sudden have these men come preaching this new life, this resurrection from the spiritually dead that comes from this Jesus Christ guy, who, in their eyes was a criminal and a political threat because he raised a ruckus among the people. Of course they felt threatened by this. See the Sadducees were particularly passionate about keeping things the same. They were so wrapped up in keeping their little thing going and controlling what they thought they had control over in protecting their misguided beliefs. They were selfishly motivated to maintain their sense of normalcy. They completely missed the mark in thinking it was their duty to continue the things of old. Because of that, they attacked anything that stood in the face of what they believed or thought to be true. Verse 3. They arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day. See, in every way, the bold proclamation of the gospel challenged the status quo in Israel at this time. And very clearly it did in that 5,000 men came to believe the truth that Peter and John were proclaiming that day. Now, on its face, the Sadducees had, by earthly standards, everything going for them. They had a a good job. They had wealth and responsibility. They had power and prestige. And then along come Peter and John and this new teaching that's gaining some heavy traction amongst the people. And all of a sudden, everything they believe, all they had worked to establish, their way of living their lives as they knew it was challenged. Because you see, that's what the gospel does. It rattled the foundation of everything the Sadducees built and then feeling threatened by that and unwilling to take a look to see if what these guys were proclaiming was true, they launched an attack. See, in our sinfulness, we too, apart from Jesus Christ, build up our lives around our sinful selves. And when we've built that up, we seek to hold on to it and try to protect what we have because really the truth is we love it. We love our sinful status quo. And this is what we as followers of Christ battle against every day. It's our inherent nature as sinful people. The gospel challenges everything that we believe to be normal. It upsets the very foundation of who we are as sinful people. It calls us to die to ourselves, to our wants and desires. It calls us to die to our sinful nature and to serve others. It calls us to obey the commands of someone we've never even seen before. The gospel calls us to stand out from everyone else and stand firm on what God's word says. It calls us not to live for this life with its passions and possessions, but for the next as what we've been promised of the eternal life. That's through Jesus Christ is so much greater than anything here. See, the gospel flies directly in the face of everything that we in our sinfulness would choose to do. And that's not an easy thing for people to accept. See, if we are committed to boldly proclaiming the gospel as we should be, we need to be prepared for the fact that some people aren't going to like what we have to say. In doing this, you're going to upset some people. Because the example that we have for this is Jesus himself who, as he walked here on this earth, challenged the status quo by what he said and what he taught, by who he was. And so it's fitting that we, who are seeking to follow his example, would do the same. See, in that moment when the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and glorious resurrection is proclaimed... Jesus calls the hearer to himself, just like he did to the disciples when he said, come and follow me. And to follow Jesus is to leave behind everything that we once knew, to leave behind our sinful status status quo and commit to walking with him, obeying his commands, living out the words he spoke. But not everyone will choose that. Because just as the gospel is challenging, it is polarizing. And there are only two responses to the proclamation of the gospel. The first is to hear it, to believe that it's true, and to respond in faith. To receive the gift of salvation offered through Jesus Christ, which brings the promise of eternal life. And the second is to deny it. To respond in disobedience. To turn your back on the one who calls you to himself and instead remain committed to your sinful status quo. And more and more for us, as the days seemingly grow darker and darker, the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us in John 15 should ring in our ears. Jesus says, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. You see, as the recipients of the gospel, we serve a master who has gone before us, who has experienced all that we could experience in this world and is our example in every way of how to live here. And he calls us to boldly proclaim the gospel. And even if that means that I'm persecuted for doing so, even if it means that the people that I tell really don't like what I have to hear, I will proclaim it. And as I do, here's the next thing. I keep Jesus first. Can okay, I keep Jesus front and center. Now, because the Sanhedrin only meets in the morning, getting back into our passage here, Peter and John are kept in prison over the, overnight until the next day that they gather, verse 5, the rulers and elders and scribes together in Jerusalem. So they gathered the members of the council together for this trial of Peter and John. And the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council at this time, were given power by the Roman authorities to rule over all non-capital cases in Israel, meaning all cases that didn't result in the death penalty. And the Sadducees, remember them, they had a heavy influence in the goings-on of the Jewish council. We're introduced in verse 6 to four members of the high priestly family. Annas, who's the father who had served as high priest, Caiaphas then, who is actually Annas' son-in-law, who is actually the now active high priest at the time, and then Annas' other two sons, John and Alexander, all Sadducees by association. Now, the role of the high priest in the Jewish council was to act as president, to preside over everything that went on in the council. And so you can see the Sadducees had a heavy influence in the legal proceedings of the time. And so they begin the trial of Peter and John with a very specific question in verse 7. Take a look. They say, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, this question is interesting, and there's two reasons why. The first is the members of the council would have known where Peter and John claimed their power came from. I mean, they weren't shy about it. In the healing of the lame man that happened just days before, Peter and John proclaimed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then in Peter's preceding sermon, five times explicitly, he mentions the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They knew where they claimed their power came from. And yet they still asked the question, why? Well, more than likely, they were looking to catch them in a slip up, potentially in blasphemy so that they could imprison them. The second reason that this question is interesting is that Peter and John couldn't have scripted this any better. I mean, truly, they couldn't have written a better question. This for them, this is like ball on the tee. Hey, thank you very much for asking kind of question because this opens the door wide for them to proclaim the gospel again. And Peter does that. And with this opportunity comes verse eight, the filling of the Holy Spirit on Peter, fulfilling perfectly what Jesus told to his followers in, Act, in Luke 12. He said, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, for the followers of Christ, the role of the Holy Spirit is at that moment that you become a follower of Jesus, that you respond to the free gift of salvation offered through him. You receive the Holy Spirit permanently to aid you as you seek to be obedient to Jesus. But then the Spirit is also readily available to us in the moment to give us the words to say, the power and the strength and the courage that we don't have in our own flesh and how encouraging is that? As we seek to, be, obedience to the call, be obedient to the call of Christ, to proclaim the gospel to the world around us, we are promised the Spirit to come along at that perfect time, to give us the words to say when we need it. So in this case here, if, if the Sadducees teed the ball up, the Holy Spirit comes along with the bat, and all Peter and John got to do is swing, and this thing's going out of the park. And clearly it does. Check it out, verse 8. Rulers of the people and elders, Peter said, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? See ya. Boldly proclaims the gospel here. I mean, Peter with no desire to puff up his own ego, he elevates Jesus Christ above all else. That was his primary concern here. He seizes the moment to clearly drive home the gospel to the religious elite in his day, and in turn to all of the people of Israel. And he begins by noting if if they're being put on trial for what they did to the lame man, I mean that's a good deed. That's an act done in kindness to somebody who was in need. There's no need to punish them for that. But if they're asking how they did it, well, that was only through the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, Peter doesn't go into the methodology that he used to get this man healed. He didn't go talking about all of the training that he did for years and years and years so that at the moment he knew exactly what he needed to do. His primary concern was to elevate Jesus Christ because it was only through the power of Jesus that this man was healed. Then he he pounds the nail a little deeper by making this personal for them. Revealing to the Sanhedrin the sinfulness of their past ways, the shared responsibility they had in the crucifixion of Jesus. The the fact that they, as God's builders, the ones called to lead and teach the people, rejected Jesus, a stone given by God to the people, that has now become the cornerstone, the most important stone of all. He finishes it off with the most clear, one of the most clear declarations of the only one who is able to save, the only name that has the power to save, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he invites the Jewish leaders to respond in faith. You see, in our witness to the world around us, there is only one thing that needs to be front and center, and that's Jesus Christ. Because you see, our ultimate need as human beings is to be saved from the damning power of our sinfulness. And that only comes through Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord and Savior, who lived a life we could not live, who died a death that we deserved. And it's only through repentance of our sinfulness and faith in him that we can receive forgiveness and the promise of salvation. And as those of us who have experienced that firsthand in our lives, we need to have him front and center in all that we do. In doing that and keeping Jesus front and center means that we are obedient to the commands that he has given to us. And one of the clear commands that Jesus gave to us, his followers, it was the bookends of his ministry here on earth. When he called his disciples for the first time, he said, come and follow me and I will what? I'll make you Fishers. fishers of men. And then as he sends them out, as he ascends into heaven, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. See, to keep Jesus front and center is to live out what he commands and proclaim him and him alone as the only way to receive salvation. Peter and John, in the words they spoke and in the things they did, kept Jesus first. And in our living out of this call that Jesus has on all of our lives, what we say, what we proclaim with our mouths needs to line up with what we do. We need to carefully consider this great commission in light of the great commandment, which is to love God and love people. There may be times when what the unsaved people around you need is to see you boldly proclaim the gospel in how you act in the words you choose to use, in your attitude at work, in how you respond to your spouse or your kids before they ever hear you proclaim the gospel with your mouth. One of our four pillars here as a church is unafraid witness. And there is a clear call from God's word that we need to speak the gospel to people, that's for sure. There's no denying that. But we need to be so careful to not disqualify ourselves from the opportunities to preach the gospel by being a poor witness to it in the first place. I have uh, members of my extended family who are not followers of Christ, as I know many of you do. Most of them have, and and I hope you see that this is of no credit to myself, but Jesus Christ in me, most of them have noticed that how I choose to live my life is different than how they do. And in that, many of them have asked me why it is that I do that. And I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with many of them. And still, many of them choose not to respond to it in faith. They know the truth, clearly said to them. They still haven't chosen to respond to that. So my responsibility now in all of that is to continue to be Jesus to these people. Continue to shower them with the love and care that I've experienced from Jesus Christ so I can keep the door open for them. And then as we spend time together, look for opportunities to insert Jesus into the conversation. Because in keeping Jesus, the front and center of all that you do, you will open up opportunities to share the gospel. Listen, if, if God calls you to stand on the street corner and proclaim the gospel, amazing. Do that. Be obedient to him. Do it with grace and truth and love. For most of us, the opportunities to share the gospel will come as we stand out in our workplaces or our schools. It will come as our families who get a, a little bit of a deeper look into our lives, see the difference in how we live and how people in the world live. It will come as our neighbors or our friends ask where we're headed on a Sunday morning or see how things are just different between you and I and, and, or between them and you and, and ask you about it. And then when the opportunity comes for you, take it. It doesn't need to be as in-depth as Peter's proclamation of the gospel was here. It could be as simple as you inviting them to come and see what God is doing here at Harvest. It could be you sharing your story of how you've seen Jesus work in your life in incredible ways. If God opens up the door for you to proclaim the gospel, amazing, do that. Trust that the Spirit is going to be with you to enable you to make that happen. But as we do these things, we need to take those opportunities in faith and elevate Jesus And what he has done for us, above all else, because he alone is able to save from the power of sin in our lives. Salvation in no one else. And then what's so important for us in, in those moments when we have the opportunity to share the gospel is this next thing. I refuse to make any excuses. See, Peter's bold witness to the council astounds them. As we see verse 13, they say that they're uneducated common men and and these kind of men at this time shouldn't have an understanding of the things that Peter and John are proclaiming. I mean, how did they know this stuff? How were they able to so boldly and clearly proclaim it? Listen, it doesn't take some uber talented, super gifted, professionally trained person to proclaim the gospel. God can use anybody. He used fishermen here. He can use you and I. See, the Sanhedrin realized that the only way these guys could know what they do and proclaim the things as they did is that they had been with Jesus. I mean, truly, it's impossible for us to understand or to know how much of an impact being with Jesus for as long as these guys were, uh, how much of an impact it made on their lives. The time that they spent with him, hearing his teaching, seeing him perform all of these miracles, clearly helped them understand things way more than all of the time they would have spent in the temple being taught by these same men that they were in front of now. In the same way, as we spend more time with Jesus, as we are in his word, as we hear it proclaimed and preached, as we read it and understand it and live it out in our lives and challenge one another with it, it will make a marked difference in who we are and what we do. And it should. I mean, how awesome it, would it be if we had people coming up to us on the street and saying to us, just, just by seeing how we act or the words we, or we, or words we use, how awesome would it be for them to be like, hey, you're one of those Jesus freaks, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, totally. Now let me tell you a little bit about them, Right. time we spend with jesus makes a difference and we ought to be spending time with him to see how he impacts who we are just like it obviously did for peter and john so to all of this there was no way the sanhedrin could respond because not only was it clear that these guys had been with jesus but the man who they had healed was standing right there verse 14 but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them they had nothing to say in opposition had nothing to say. Peter and John made no excuse in all of this. They had every earthly reason to. They were up against the religious elite of the day, the people that had the best religious training who knew this stuff inside and out. They were facing more prison, or facing prison time and, and more persecution. It would be understandable if they bailed. But in faithful obedience to the command of Christ, trusting fully in the spirit for the power to stand and speak, they made no excuse and they went right after it. See, the longing in their hearts was to be obedient to the one who saved them and that trumped any possible excuse they could make. You see, that's what it takes, church. Our reputation, what people think and say about us, even our own personal safety and freedom should pale in comparison to the desire we should have to be obedient to the call of Christ in our lives one man who is very clearly living this out is a pastor by the name of Wang Yi there's a picture of him up on the screen pastor Yi is the senior pastor of Early Rain Covenant Church a reformed presbyterian house church in Chengdu China last month he his wife and about a hundred other people from their church were arrested by the communist authorities, citing subversion to state power. Now China, an officially atheist state, under the authority of the Communist Party, have ratcheted up the intensity on persecuting unsanctioned religious activity after passing new laws for Protestant churches in their country now while it's not unlawful to practice religious activity that's contrary to the state belief. Churches in China must do so under strict guidelines which limit their ability to proclaim the gospel. Pastor Yi wrote a letter which was published by his church after his arrest. And he writes that although he is angry and disgusted with the actions of his country, he says, changing social and political institutions is not the mission I have been called to and is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. He goes on to say, I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ, son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to new life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am imprisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. It's an incredible story. This man is facing 15 years in prison for proclaiming the gospel separated from his wife and his kids, separated from the church that he loves so dearly. Even in the midst of it, making absolutely no excuse, he hopes to be able to proclaim the gospel to the very people who took away his freedom in the first place. His story parallels what we see happen to Peter and John as this passage continues. The council find that there's no way to imprison them for what has happened. So the only thing they can legally do to shut down these messengers of Jesus is verse eight. They call them back and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's a threatening thing for them. Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The message that they had was burning in their hearts so much that even as they were threatened by the authorities of their day, the only perspective, the only response that they had was they could not but speak. They could not but tell people about what they've seen Jesus do and heard him say. Although for us, although we are not Eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, we have his resurrection power in our lives. And this is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and it's alive in you and me as we too have been saved from the power of sin and hell by his loving sacrifice. And we too have the promise of life eternal that comes from his glorious resurrection. You see, it doesn't matter what people say about us. It doesn't matter what the government of the day may say about us, even if we're mocked and shunned, even if the day comes when we're even persecuted for proclaiming the faith that we have, our perspective needs to be that we cannot but speak to the people around us of what we've seen Jesus do in our lives and have heard him say in his word, amen? Can't make any excuses the command of Christ on our lives. And this world may come to hate us. Our family and friends may turn against us. It could get to the point where we have absolutely nothing left in this world, but it would all be worth it. Because everything else pales in comparison to the freedom found in Jesus Christ, the promise of spending eternity in his presence. And people need to know that. That is our task. This is our call. We need to do it without making any excuses. And then finally this, as we do it, I recognize that God does the work. So see how this whole thing wraps up in verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There was no disputing the work that God had done here. The work that God was doing, the power of God was on full display in the healing of this man, in the equipping of his servants, Peter and John, for the task before them. And it was on full display in the salvation in the lives of all of the people who heard. To the point that the Sanhedrin's hands were tied, fearful of the response that people would have because they were praising the God that they had just entered into relationship with just a day before. I mean, not to mention the fact that there was no disputing that the healing of the lame man was something completely ordained by God because this dude was over 40 years old. He'd been crippled his entire life. There was no way that his body could have done this on his own. Everyone would have seen him begging outside the temple as they were walking in and then all of a sudden he could walk impossible apart from the power of God see the Lord had done an incredible thing on this day and it was noticed in a powerful and public way Peter and John had been obedient to the command of Jesus and God saw fit to bless that by saving many people In the bold proclamation of the gospel, God does the saving work. It's the responsibility of the follower of Christ to be faithfully obedient in proclaiming the good news and then trusting God with the results. So the call from Jesus to make disciples isn't an optional thing for us. This is a necessity. If Jesus has transformed your life, you should tell people about it. The evidence of a life truly saved by God, of a disciple truly impacted by the good news of Jesus Christ, is that you make other truly saved by God, truly impacted by the good news of Jesus Christ disciples. We should long that this be a place where we make disciples who make disciples. We bring the heart that's been changed by the gospel and the desire to live in obedience. The spirit provides the ability and the words to say, and then God brings the results. And we ought to trust that he will do what he says he will do when he says he will do it. And so as we do this, we need to recognize that God is the one who does the saving work. Our part is to continue to be faithful, to continue to live in step with the commands of Jesus, to keep him front and center, to refuse to make any excuses, to walk in obedience and tell those around us about who he is and what he's done for us, and then to trust that even when we can't see it, God is calling people to himself. Do you believe that? As we wrap up up our time in God's word together, I thought that it would be necessary for us to have some time to respond to what we've heard from God's word this morning. So you can go ahead and, and pack up your things, set them aside. You know, we are here on the first Sunday of 2019 of a brand new year with a stark challenge in front of us. See, people need the gospel. There are people lost without hope all around us. I think that far too often, we may not take this as seriously as we ought to. I know for me personally, as I spent time preparing this message this week, I felt the conviction on my heart in the ways that I often focus far too much on myself and what's going on around me and the stress and busyness of this life that I often forget about the fact that there are people living without hope right next to me. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in the same place I was and still am. Maybe you're here and you've been living on fire for Jesus and you've been proclaiming the gospel, but it's discouraging because you aren't seeing the results that you thought you would Trust. Trust that God is working and continue to be faithful. So as we consider all of these things, I want to give you a chance to go to the Lord for these. So go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. Spend some time in prayer for these things. We've heard this morning that our part is to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which will challenge the status quo in the people that we tell. They may not like what we have to say. Are you willing to risk that? Pray for strength and for courage and pray that God would soften the hearts of the people he puts in your path. We've heard that as we share the gospel, Jesus needs to be front and center. Sure, you might be comfortable with sharing the gospel or sharing your story or inviting someone to church, but... There's maybe an aspect of your life that's not lining up with that and you may disqualify yourself from having an opportunity in the first place. Do you have some business to do with the Lord here this morning? Something to confess and repent of? You can do that here. Maybe you're here and you've never responded in faith to the call of Jesus in your life. Well, it's before you this morning and you have a choice. Will you turn from your sinfulness to the forgiveness of your sins found in Jesus' death on the cross? Will you receive here today the promise of eternity with him that comes through his glorious resurrection? Will you commit to living in obedience to him? Or will you turn your back on him and continue to live in your sinfulness? Don't be deceived. The judgment of God is coming for those who don't believe. Cry out to him in this place. You can do that right where you are. He's inviting you to himself. We've seen clearly that as we proclaim God's word, we can't make any excuses. It's easy for us too. And how often do we care too much about what people think or say that we keep our mouths shut and avoid the topic? Are there people in your life that you are thinking about right now that you need to call or have coffee with this week? You need to grab a come and see card or grab an invitation and walk over to the house of your neighbor or your friend and invite them to be with you next Sunday. Maybe they work with you, whoever it is. Ask that the Lord give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them this week and then pray that the Spirit would empower you to see the opportunity and take it. And finally, as we obey and are faithful to proclaim the gospel boldly, we recognize that God alone does the work in salvation. So go to the Lord now for the people in your life that you long to see know Jesus. But would you start that prayer with your will be done, Lord, not mine. And would you pray that you would be willing to submit yourself to whatever he decides to do, knowing that he is good. Spend some time in prayer now and I'll come back and close this in a minute. God, who are we that you would care for us? Who are we that you would know our name, that you would hear our prayers? Who are we that you would love us enough to send your own son to this earth, to the place you formed, to live a sinless life, but then to experience a death that each and every single one of us deserved? Who are we that you would desire a relationship with us enough that you would send him to that cross we thank you for that god we thank you for your great love for us and for the ways that you show that to us day in and day out and the blessings that we don't deserve and the truths we find in your word and god what a blessing it is to have the words that we need to live our lives here on earth fathers we have seen you speak clearly to us from your word this morning i pray as some may be here who are convicted and challenged in how they're living their lives toward those who are lost around them as some may be here who are burdened greatly for those who they love desperately who don't know Jesus as there may be even some here who don't yet know him yet who have been living in that sinful status quo I pray father that you would do a great work in this place and then father I pray that you would do a great work through us as we stand on the cusp of another year and as we consider all of the people in our lives who are so desperately in need of you, I pray that we would take the gospel to the lost, that we would seek to boldly proclaim it, refusing to make any excuses, keeping you front and center and then trusting that you're going to do the work that you say you will do. We thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.